Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We have come to the conclusion of our summer sermon series. In this sermon, we look at how living with one another as low people, joining together in those low moments, bring us truly together as both humans and Christians. You're listening to Live in Harmony with One Another by Rev. Peter Yonker. This morning's Bible reading is from Romans, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, the same passage that we've had all summer long. This is the very last of our sermons in this series. It is the 10th one. If you're visiting with us, yes, we have had 10 sermons in a row on this same passage, and it's been okay. It's been a really wonderful way for me, and I hope for you, to just let the Holy Spirit deeply form you in one piece of Scripture and to really try to listen deeply to what the Spirit is saying to us through these words. Um, As Aaron already mentioned, the emphasis uh, today will be in verses 16 through 18. Uh, That's where I'll really focus, and especially on two phrases in that. Now, for your visitors, we have uh, challenged each other to memorize this passage, and we've had varying levels of success But what that means is that when we uh, do this passage, I don't read it for you. We all recite it together. So let us do that now and let us say, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, faithful in prayer, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's lap. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. So we come to our 10th and final sermon on this uh, Romans 12. And today I will be focusing on two phrases that I haven't dealt with yet. Basically, we've talked about every little bit of this passage, but there are two phrases, two important phrases we haven't talked about yet, and I will address them today, one after the other. And both of them are in verses 16 through 18. They're contained within that section of our passage. 
And if you look at that section, that's a section that's very much devoted to living at peace, to living in unity with one another as a community. I think you can argue that the whole passage is about that, but it's especially intense there. And just to show you, let me recite that, that bit again. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I think you can hear, as I say those words, that unity is central there. It starts with live in harmony with one another in that section, and it ends with if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So that whole section is teaching us not just to be morally formed by the Holy Spirit as individuals, but that our formation is something that happens between each other. It's not just about us. Our identity is caught up in these people who sit around you in the community of the Christian church. So today we'll open up our hearts to the spirits again and be formed by two phrases in that passage. And those are these. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone and be willing to associate with people of low position. Right? I'm going to take those one by one and you will see that each of them has something to say, not just about our own moral individual health, but who we are as community. Let's start with the phrase in verse 17, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of of everyone. Now that's a challenging phrase when you start to think about it. After the service last week, there was a member of this congregation who knew that this was the last sermon in the series and came to me and said, are you going to talk about be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone? Because I'm really confused by that. How can you do what is right in the eyes of everyone? When you have two people who have completely different ideas about what is right. How can you do what is right in the eyes of both of those people if they totally don't agree about what is right? She has a point. And you could ask a further question. How can I do what is right in the eyes of everyone if what is right in the eyes of my neighbor is different than what God thinks is right? So for example, what if I'm a freshman in college, just out of high school, out of one of those nice, safe Christian schools, and I go off to a public institution for my first year of college, and I've been in the dorm a little while, and all of a sudden my dorm mates come over and says, hey guys, we're going to have a great big party this weekend. One of the guys has rented a place, he's got a little money, we're going to have a keg, and Joe down the hall, he's made all kinds of edibles, man, edible marijuana stuff. We're going to have a great time, it'll be a bonding experience, come on down, we'd really like it if you were there. It wouldn't feel right if you weren't there, man. Does doing right in the eyes of everyone mean that I have to say yes to my floor mate? Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Lord, what does this mean? Holy Spirit, what are you forming in us when you ask us to do those things? Well, I must admit that last week when the congregation member asked me, I wasn't sure what the answer was, but that's why I have a week to prepare sermons. 
And having spent the week thinking about this and other things, um, the, the key here, the key to understanding is the word right. In the Greek, the word right is kalos. So be careful to do what is kalos in the eyes of everyone. That is one of two words that the Greeks would use for good. The other is agathos. Agathos and kalos. And there's a big overlap between those words. They're often used interchangeably to mean good and right. But they do have different sort of spheres of meaning, if you understand. So agathos, which is not the word in our passage, means good or right in a moral sense. When you do what is agathos, you're doing what God decrees, what God commands, what his immutable law has said. That's agathos. When you do kalos, it can also mean beautiful or proper or fitting. So it's a little bit about the way you do things, if you hear that. Agathos is about what is morally right. Kalos is about the way you do what is morally right. And you can hear the difference between the words, maybe, in this English sentence. I did the right thing, and I did it right. I used the word right twice in, those sentence, in that sentence. It did not mean the same thing exactly, right? The first time I used the word right, it meant agathos. It meant what is morally right. I did what is right, and I did it right. I did it in the right way. That's the difference between kalos and agathos. So, when the Holy Spirit tells you, be careful to do what is kalos in the eyes of everyone, it's telling you, the whole he is telling you to do your good works in a way that does not give offense, in a way that is considerate of the people around you. Do what is agathos, do what is morally right, and also do it in a way that is sensitive to the needs and feelings of the people around you. So going back to our example of the freshman who just got into college and had that invitation from his floor mates, the Holy Spirit wants you to do the agathos thing. Say no. But the Holy Spirit also wants you to do the kalos thing. Say it in a certain way. So you don't say, I will most certainly not participate in your debauchery. Get thee behind me. You are enemies and evil doers of Satan's deeds. Or something like that. <laughs> that would be agathos, but that would not be kalos. Better would be, guys, you know what? That's... That's just not me. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I was raised in the church. I, I'm not, I don't mean to judge you guys. That's, that's not how I roll. I would love to get to know you guys better. Don't get me wrong. If you're going out for breakfast, call me. If you're going to play basketball, call me. But I'm just going to take a pass on this. That would be both agathos and, in my judgment, kalos as well. We Christians sometimes talk as if we should not care what people around us think. And we sometimes talk as if um, we do our deeds and, and if we care about what the people around us think, that's, that's somehow a sign of moral weakness. This passage suggests the opposite. You should care about what people around you think. You should care about how they react to what you do. Not so that it changes your moral choices, right? But that it shapes the way you do them. And that shouldn't surprise us. Paul did that. Paul says, 
I become all things to all people in order that I may win some, 1 Corinthians 9, right? You know that passage? When Paul says that, he doesn't mean that he's changing the gospel to suit people, but he means that he is changing the way he presents it, the way he says it, how he behaves in different situations so that he can present it well and without offense in a winsome way. It also shouldn't surprise us when we just take a look at the fruit of the Spirit. What could be more fundamental to understanding what the Holy Spirit wants in us than the list of the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Think about those things. A lot of those part of that fruit are not about what we do. They're about how we do it. Patience is about how you do what is right. Gentleness is about how you do what is right. Kindness is about how you do what is right. And so is self-control to some extent. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you care what people around you think. You are sensitive. You pay deep attention to what's going on in their lives. And you speak the truth to them. And you do what is morally right. But you do it in a way that is full of love and sensitivity. That's the first of our two phrases. And that's what the Spirit is shaping in us with that phrase. Which brings us to the second phrase. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Um, Another way to hear this, and if I were to translate, I might translate it differently to get the sense of high and low, because in the Greek, there's a contrast. Do not be high and mighty, is more like what it says, but be willing to associate with people of low position. In that phrase, Paul is basically trying to do what Jesus did in the parable that Aaron read earlier trying to get our social attention, instead of having our social attention flow up, he's trying to get our social attention to flow downwards. In Roman society, as Aaron also mentioned, uh, there was a strong tendency for your social attention to flow up towards the rich and the powerful. And that was sort of baked into the system that they lived under. They, They functioned in a patronage system. That means if you wanted legal protection, or economic security, you couldn't depend on laws. You had to depend on people who are more powerful than you, whose favor you had. You had to curry favor with them to be secure. And so, as the, as the parable suggests, when they threw a party in those days, they tended to invite people who could advance their social position. And then when they got to the party, they were terribly concerned about where they were sitting so they could advance their social position. Jesus, so their attention flows up, Jesus wants to reverse the flow. When you give a party, why not invite the poor, the blind, the lame, the marginalized, people who can't give you anything, but to whom you can give grace. Let them be the object of your hospitality. So when Paul says, Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. He's just picking up where Jesus left off, trying to get us to have concern for those who are lower than us. And the most obvious application of that is that this is about care for the poor. He's calling us for care to the poor. And that's something that I think I've talked about quite a bit in this sermon series, and now we're hearing about it again. But part of what Paul's word is doing here is also shaping the way we do community. Be willing to associate with people of low position is also shaping the way 
we live together as community. Because in a very real sense, we are all people of low position. Every single person here is a person of low position. The longer I'm a pastor and the longer I'm a person, the more I realize that every single person is struggling. The longer I'm a pastor and the longer I'm a person, the more I realize that every single person has moments when they're this close to being overwhelmed, when they feel like they are sinking. And we don't feel that way all the time. Maybe once a day, certainly once a week, when we're in a quiet moment, things back up on us and we feel like, this is too much, Lord, I do not know what to do. A mother trying to manage the busy schedule of her children and fight her own anxiety, which keeps her up at night. The businessman trying to keep his business afloat for the sake of his employees in an economy that keeps changing. The wife trying to keep her husband from sliding into yet another depressive episode. The young person just out of college trying to figure out what it means to be an adult, trying to put down roots and not sure how to do it. The fifth grader headed off to middle school for the first time and walking the halls with big bodies and loud voices and feeling really insecure. The pastor trying to love and lead a church full of people with wildly different opinions. All of us have moments in our days, in our weeks, where we know ourselves as people of low position, where we feel like we're close to being overwhelmed. And the message of scripture about those moments is, you are right. You are all in over your head. You can't figure out your own heart. You do not have the power to sort out what's going on inside of yourself, let alone what is going on, going on outside in the world. The gospel is that Jesus comes down to us people of low position. And he shares our life. He comes to us and he shows us his wounded hand and his wounded side and says, I know you can't figure yourself out but don't be afraid. I have gone to that place and I know you can't find a way through, but I know the way through. I've been there. So listen to me. Hold on to me because heaven knows I'm never going to let go of you. Here's what that means for community. We're all people of low position and we are called to connect with each other as people of low position. Do you understand what I mean by that? We're all people of low position, and we're called to connect with each other as people of low position, to see each other in that way. It reminds us that the Christian community is strongest when we honestly admit our need of each other and of the Lord, and when we fall on our knees before the cross of Jesus Christ. As a pastor, I do both weddings and funerals, lots of them. In both weddings and funerals, you spend a lot of time with the family, right? You're a lot of connection with the family. Guess which of those two things form stronger pastoral connections? Funerals. It's not even close. Why is that? 
It's because when I do a funeral, we are together as people of low position. In a death of a loved one, we have the grief of the family and our powerlessness before death. And we're open before the face of God and we say, Jesus, we can't do this, but you did it. You can. We give ourselves to you. We are together as people of low position and it forms a strong connection. One of my other favorite things to do as a pastor is to impose ashes on Ash Wednesday. Now, I know a lot of you have never been to an Ash Wednesday service, but many of you have, and for those of you who haven't, it's a service right at the beginning of Lent, and on Ash Wednesday, at the end of the service, all the people who are in attendance come down the middle of the aisle, and there's a couple pastors here, and we impose ashes, which means we take a little bit of ash, we make the sign of the cross on the forehead of everyone. The ashes, for me, they always connect to baptism and say a similar thing to what baptism says. The ashes, at the one hand, say, you're a person of low position, Dust you are, and to dust you will we turn. It's a reminder of your mortality. But it's also a sign of the eternal hope you have because it's the sign of the cross, right? So both the position of, of low position and also the sign of grace, the sign of hope we have in Jesus Christ. So people line up and they come. And as a pastor, you're overwhelmed by the sense of how different one person can be after the other in the line. So you have a longtime elder who's an elder a hundred times, dust you are, and to dust you shall return. A young woman pregnant for the first time, dust you are, and to dust you shall return. A shy kindergartner leaning forward, dust you are, and to dust you shall return. A self-conscious teenager, a man struggling with dementia, a 60-year-old woman just diagnosed with cancer, facing treatment, dust you are, to dust you shall return. After everyone's been imposed, before the benediction, everyone goes back to sit down. And one of my favorite things is to stand there and look out over everyone and see everyone there with the cross on their forehead. Because when you've just been imposed with ashes and you've got an ash cross on your forehead, it is impossible to put on airs. From this position, looking at all of you, wearing those ashes, I can see you as people of low position and you can see me as a person of low position. And you can see what truly makes our community, that we are sinners saved by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. People of low position who received a grace that has lifted us. In that position, we see the true center of our identity. We are not Republicans or Democrats. We are not Canadians or Americans. We are not rich or poor or gay or straight. We are sinners, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. That is who you all are and that is who I am too. And that is who we are together. Thanks be to God. Amen. Lord God, it's good to get on our knees, at least metaphorically, to say in this place that we are 
week and that there are lots of times where life is too much for us, but it's never too much for you and to throw our arms open and to receive the grace we don't deserve. Lord, may that grace give us strength to do what we have to do this week, to be people who um, follow you in hope and joy uh, and people who do it with humility. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.